Hello, and welcome to episode 11 of the Modern Day Rebels podcast, the podcast that tells the stories of pioneers that actively create the lives they want to live. If we haven't had the chance to meet yet, hello, my name is Julia Frank, and I'm the host of this podcast. I'm fascinated by the question of how we can live both better and more meaningful lives. Essentially, what this means is that I explore how we can live life on our own terms without having to make any drastic daredevil changes. Whether you're employed, run your own business, work as a freelancer, or whatever your situation might be, this podcast mission is to highlight the approach of those who live life a little bit more unconventionally to show you that you can too. Each week, I sit down with a modern-day rebel from a range of different personal backgrounds and industries to chat about why they decided to live life differently, what living life on their own terms looks like, and most importantly, how they managed to do so in the first place. In today's episode, I sit down with Pip Christie, founder of Unedited Business, where she helps small businesses market who they really are. Pip has always lived quite an unconventional life, and we talk about her career journey in this episode. We chat about how she turned her love for writing from a passion into a viable business, and how she decided that she wasn't going to wait for the right time to come and quit her job to go freelance when she moved to Australia for a year. We also talk about what success means to her and how she's created a life for herself that she really enjoys living. I've always admired Pip for her honesty and for writing. We almost didn't want to turn off the mic at the end of the chat and actually ended up chatting, I think, for another hour and a half off the mic. So I'm so excited to share this episode with you and we'll get straight into it. Well, thanks, Pip, so much for taking the time today to be on this podcast. To start us off, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and what it is that you do? Sure. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. It's so exciting to be joining you. So obviously I'm Pip. I'm a copywriter and a website designer at pipchristie.com, which is where I work with what I've styled as unedited marketing, which is essentially all about helping small businesses to market themselves in a way that's true to who they are, as opposed to promising something that really isn't there. So I guess essentially the easiest way to describe it is kind of like marketing without the ick factor. Um, And so through that, I work with coaches, solopreneurs, nonprofits, and small businesses from all around the world, um, but all from my home office, which as of just a couple of weeks ago is now back in London. Amazing. Before we get started talking about your journey, why do you consider yourself a modern day rebel or why might someone else consider you one? Do you know, I actually had a bit of a laugh um, when I listened to your episode with Samantha from Spoonful of Happy when she was talking about this and she said that she didn't really see herself as a, a rebel and more of a, a rule follower, which I can totally relate to. But I guess kind of looking from the outside in, that I can also see how those maybe slightly more rebellious aspects do come through. So I think for me, the biggest thing would be about gosh, probably about 18 months ago, I quit my job working in-house and moved to Australia and went freelance kind of all at the same time, which now when I say it back sounds super bold, but I think at the time it was far more about like finding an approach to life that really works for me and one that feels like me and actually finding the courage to go out and create that life as opposed to just kind of staying where I was and settling with that. And you didn't start off kind of in the marketing sector, right? You actually studied economics. Yeah, so I did my undergrad in um, economics and then actually went on to do a master's in human rights. So kind of going from economics to human rights is always a bit of a fun journey for, for people to understand. And it's one of those things I think at the time you think, oh gosh, how is this going to kind of work out into like a, you know, that logical career path mm-hmm. that you're told uh, told about at school, this kind of journey that you need to be following. But when I reflect on it now, I mean, 
I was kind of that weird girl that actually enjoyed writing her dissertation both times. I mean, as part of the reason why that I went into the master. That was, that was not <laughs> one of those people. I did it, but I didn't necessarily enjoy it. I see. I, yeah, I thought it was brilliant. I mean, I just love the idea that I could find a topic of interest, like take a deep dive into it, really get going with the research and then spend time, I guess, also kind of by myself. I'm an INFJ. So like that introvert side of me really liked the fact that I could be kind of I guess being like my own boss in that way um, and do that self-study and I could yeah research this topic get a good understanding of it and then write about it in a clear and understandable way mm-hmm. and now when I look at my career that's kind of what I've ended up doing for a living yeah at the time it just seemed like just doing my dissertation. So was that kind of when you first started to realize you loved writing or when the when did this passion for writing kind of come about? I think it was probably around then I mean I graduated from my economics degree, my my bachelor's in 2013. And it was that year that I actually started my first WordPress blog. So yeah, maybe I kind of wanted to continue that journey of writing after the dissertation. I'm not, I'm not sure. But that was really to, I guess, kind of document my time. And it was a good way for me to process things that were happening and share a bit more about my story. So that was the year that I moved to Argentina for six months after my first degree and really wanted to be sharing what was going on with obviously friends and family back home, but also for myself so that I had something to reflect back on when when I, when I got older, although <laughs> I, maybe I'm old now because I still look back at it from time to time to try and jog my memory. And I started to realise that actually writing was something that was important to me and something that no matter what happened in my life, I needed to have it in there and it became, I guess, a part of who I am. So it kind of started off sharing your travels. What actually made you make that first leap of, of moving to South America right after you graduated? <laughs> Do you know, I feel like I should give a really um, deep and meaningful answer to this question, <laughs> but it's actually really simple. So I did my economics degree at Durham, which is in the north of England. And if you've ever been, especially in winter, you'll know that it's pretty cold. And I kind of got used to, you know, student accommodation, couldn't really feel your toes for like several months of the year. And it was coming up to, you know, the end of my final year. And I was thinking, oh gosh, what am I on earth am I going to do next year? Like I need to be looking for that graduate job, getting onto that career ladder, et cetera. And I was just like, no, I'm not quite ready for that. What I actually need is like, I just wanted to go somewhere warm. So, <laughs> um, I kind of looked around for a little bit and I'd spent some time in South America before, um, I traveled to Venezuela before I started my undergrad degree and my Spanish was was okay at that point. So I decided that that was something that I wanted to stretch and and to develop. So um, yeah, I did a series of online interviews to to find different options and got an internship in Buenos Aires for six months and that was predominantly in Spanish and yeah, made the arrangements and kind of off I went to warm up. And did you speak Spanish? At that point? I had basic Spanish. So I had, okay. um, I'd done GCSE Spanish. So I had two years of that. And then kind of the, the basics that I'd learned when I, when I was um, overseas the first time around. But most of it, I really learned when I got there. And I remember so clearly sitting in the airport, boarding that plane um, on my own, not knowing, I mean, I didn't know anyone like the entire continent, let alone the country. So nervous and so scared and listening to the people around me talk and wondering what on earth they were saying, because it didn't, I'd learned Spain Spanish, which is so different to the Spanish that they speak in Argentina. I mean, the accents and the dialects, it's, it's so unique. So yeah, I got to Argentina and I did, a, I think, 
I think it was like two months of intense Spanish school and picked up a lot that way. I was actually surprised by how much I did learn and then learned most of it on the job. I, I continued doing evening classes uh, to really develop my language skills each day. And I was speaking Spanish kind of all day, every day and did obviously make some English speaking friends there as well. But the majority of the time I was speaking Spanish and by the end of it, I would, I mean, I obviously wasn't fluent, but I was very comfortable in it. And you mentioned kind of this concern about having this linear career path, right? Or, or needing to, you, you said you weren't quite ready for that yet. When you said, you know what, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna move to South America for six months. <laughs> were there kind of concerns from, from parents or, you know, friends that were like, wait a minute, you're, you just did e- economics. That's a very practical degree, I would say. And then kind of decided to do something completely different. Was that the case? And, and kind of how did you deal with, with all those external voices? Do you know, I don't remember any kind of major conversations about, you know, oh, what, what on earth are you doing? You should be doing this instead um, from my family. Or, I mean, friends were definitely very supportive. But my family too, um, I think by that point, it was kind of expected of me. Um, in the sense that even though I was studying economics, I was never kind of, I guess, like an economics traditionalist, for want of a better term, when I was doing that degree. I mean, I was always the person at the beginning of seminars and people would be talking about, oh, you know, what are your plans after university? And people would be saying, I want to, you know, go and work in finance, I want to become an accountant, etc. And I was interested in development economics and more looking towards the charity sector and things like that. So that I was the one kind of always getting those weird looks being like, oh, you, you don't want to go down the path of, you know, kind of churning in those, those huge paychecks month after month um, in the city. And I was like, no, not not for me. That didn't quite feel right. So by that point, I think it was clear that I was going to do something a little bit different. And I think also the fact that I, was, I wasn't just going there to go on holiday. I was going there to learn um, and to develop my skills at the same time. So I think that really helped as well. That's amazing. And so you studied economics and then did you come back to do your master's or did you return to London? Yeah, so I actually found out that I'd been accepted onto my master's program whilst I was overseas, whilst I was in Argentina. Um, so I came back, must have been, I think, around like July time I came back, had like a month or two um, moving back into my dad's house um, before then moving to London to start my master's in September. And then you did the master's in human rights? Yes. So how did you kind of move from human rights into being a marketing manager at that point? That for, I mean, that was essentially a very happy accident. Um, so it was one of those things that, again, totally didn't didn't expect at all. I'd finished my master's and was looking for a graduate job. And whilst doing so, I was temping, as, as I think many people often do, kind of trying out different positions at the same time and ended up temping with a tech startup um, within their marketing team. And... I kind of had a bit of a habit of when when I was doing these different temping roles, I ended up doing the work too efficiently and would often end up taking up less time than they'd expected um, and working myself out of a job. And so that happened again when I was with this startup. But rather than just saying, okay, thanks, off you go, we don't need you anymore. They gave me some content writing work and it just felt like such a natural fit to me. I think that was kind of the light bulb moment in the fact that I'd found something that brought kind of my skills and passions together. And it wasn't a role that I'd ever previously considered because at that point it wasn't one that I'd known that much about. And suddenly it was presented to me this in this way and it kind of sparked my curiosity. And I thought, okay, this is, this is something interesting. Maybe this could be a viable option for me. 
So I think I had probably about a week or so of doing content writing work for them. And then they offered me a permanent contract. And naturally I, I said yes and jumped at the opportunity and then ended up staying with them for a number of years and, and worked my way up to be content marketing manager with them. And then from that, you kind of, you, you worked for a charity as well, right? You kind of, did you yes. have a couple of different positions within marketing? It just kind of felt like the right fit? Yeah, it absolutely felt like the right fit. And I think I was very lucky, especially um, at that first role. Um, my manager there really kind of turned into a bit of a mentor for me and helping me learn and develop my skills and pointing me in the right direction so that I had all the right resources available to me. Um, because I think a lot of it I took to quite naturally. And then kind of those other skills that I wanted to, I mean, play in the gaps essentially with, I was able to do that thanks to his mentorship, which I was very, very, I think very fortunate to have. And yeah, so I was there for, for a couple of years. And then I guess it was kind of like a bit of a, a catalyst that really led to me go, then going into the charity sector. I mean, I'd always had that interest at the time, obviously, given my undergraduate degree, it was clear that like, it was something that I kind of toyed with the idea of doing eventually. And yeah, so I had this big catalyst happen when I'd gone, I'd left London for the weekend and I'd gone to um, Cardiff to celebrate a friend's birthday. And the next morning I was making my way um, to the bus station to catch the bus back to London. And I had a phone call to let me know that my mum had passed away. And this was totally out of the blue. Um, She had a long-term illness. She had MS. But it wasn't something that was expected at that time. So that really, that just changed everything for me. But at the beginning, I tried to go back to business as usual. Um, I'm an obliger. I don't know if you know Gretchen Rubin's four tendencies. So I was like, okay, can't let anyone down. Must kind of, you know, keep keep calm and carry on. It was very much that tendency. So I was back to work, although it was from my family home, but I was back to work within three days because we had a launch event that we were um, that I'd been planning to, um, that was announcing the rebrand of the organisation. And I think I went back to London the day after the funeral and straight back to the office. And I just kind of kept going and going until one day I had a panic attack. And that really led my boyfriend to sit down with me and have, I mean, for want of a better way of saying it, a real talk um, and really made it clear to me that I, I needed to to make some changes. And I think up until that point, I'd really been kind of ignoring what had happened. Like it wasn't, I think because it was so unexpected, I didn't really have like a a clear way of of, of dealing with it. I mean, nobody kind of hands you a, a playbook and say, okay, you've you've lost a parent at, I mean, what was I? I must have been about, I think, 25. Um, you've lost a parent at 25. Here's here's your here's what you do next. Um, I, hadn't, I had no idea, um, didn't know where to begin. But anyway, I was fer- referred from by my GP to start therapy and that was so valuable for me. I think I really started to learn more about what I wanted in my life. And it sounds really cheesy to say, but I think my mum's death was actually a wake up call for me. So it was kind of like that reminder of the fact that life really is so short and you never really know what's going to happen. And I realised that I wanted my life to, although there were bits of it that I loved, there were also bits of it that I did want to change. So I ended up um, after obviously a period of time, I ended up leaving my job with the, with the startup and getting a new job um, at a charity where I led on on digital comms, which I loved. But my boyfriend and I kept coming back to this same question over this period of time. Um, and it sounds so random to say now, we kept asking each other, should we move to Australia for a year? And uh, yeah, as you do, it just pops up in, uh, in conversation. And I think we must have been having that conversation for about 12 months. 
it just kept popping up and you know we talk about it for a little while and then you know set it aside and then a few weeks later it would come up again another discussion and I'm a bit of a planner so I kind of did all the pros and cons lists of you know why we should go why we should stay and and all these different things and it kind of got to the point where we ended up asking ourselves like what's the worst thing that could happen so the worst thing that could happen if, if we went was obviously that we'd go and we'd hate it and then we would be able to come home or if we stayed we could just stay and then never try mm-hmm. and for both of us the idea of always wondering about what could have happened and what could have been like that was so much worse than not not knowing and never having given it a go yeah you kind of talk about that that whole the what if you didn't want to have have to yeah. have to have that question mark of of the what if you mentioned kind of having this wake up call is that also when your writing changed because i know you've kind of you've t- you've opened up about kind of the grief and and working through the loss of having lost your mother is that when it became a lot more personal and a mo- lot more about your storytelling rather than your travels or your weekends away did you also see that shift there definitely yeah definitely i remember i think the few months after right after she had passed away and you know there were so many nights when i just couldn't get to sleep and as I know is like such an unhealthy habit, but at the time it actually became a very useful habit for me. I would just scroll through Instagram just to make myself tired because my brain was going too quickly that I needed to to wind it down. So I would spend all these evenings and all these nights in bed scrolling through Instagram and just just looking at at different content. And I noticed such a disconnect between the people who I was following and the people that I found online who very much seemed to be presenting, you know, that stereotypical highlight reel. And it all seemed very surface level and superficial. And then I would also find some accounts that were being open about the ups and downs and, the, you know, the highs and lows and actually talking about what was really going on in their lives. And that it was at that point that I realised that I wanted to be joining in those conversations and that I didn't want to be contributing to that noise of, um, you know, the way that it can be when somebody's looking at that uh, on the outside of your life and, and looking in. And I hated the idea that somebody would look, you know, on, on my own account or go onto my own website and think, oh, you know, she's traveling, she's doing all these things and everything looks perfect and sunshine and roses and all that kind of thing. And so it was a few months after that, I'm trying to think of timelines, um, probably a few months later that I ended up pivoting my blog into what I then called life unedited. So you can see Mm -hmm. where unedited marketing came from now. And that was essentially just me really wanting to open up about everything that was going on to actually talk about grief. And because I found at the time, even just in conversations that were going on in my real life, how many people just didn't know how to talk about grief because we don't talk about it until it happens. Nobody knows what to say to you. Um, when they've just found out that you've lost a parent or that you've you've gone through something, um, some form of trauma, there's no clear response system because we don't discuss it. So how how are we ever going to know what to say if we don't talk about it? So that became a big driving force for me to start opening up and having those conversations. And I think a lot of the time I felt very uncomfortable doing it because it was so new and you know you're you're being vulnerable in that way. But eventually I was able to find a way that I could I could share those personal bits of my life without feeling like I was putting, you know, my whole self out there. Um, but just enough to be forming those connections, because I think when we are more vulnerable pe- with people, that is when we we have those true connections. I think that's really interesting with your writing, because when you read those blog articles that you write, or also what you share on social media, it does feel very 
not necessarily, I don't know if raw is the right word there, but it is, it's very authentic. It's very open. Do you have a process where you essentially, I imagine like putting everything on the page and then pulling back or how did you get comfortable with, you know, starting off with grief? It's, it's a, it's a really deep uh, topic. How did you kind of get over that initial, oh, I don't know if I want to share that. I mean, I made that, <laughs> you keep, audience can't see me, but like, <laughs> that noise is like, perfect. Oh, yeah. I don't, I don't want to do it. Right. <laughs> so, you know, from, from being quite comfortable with, with writing and writing about your travels and all of a sudden realizing, oh, wow, I don't want to contribute to this highlight reel. I don't want people to think, you know, that I've got everything together, but then also actually having to do it. So how, mm. how was that kind of process? Did you have that? Did you make that noise that I just made? Was there that process? I th I'm pretty sure I did at the beginning. I think it was two main things for me. Like the first one is that I wanted, always wanted to make sure that I was only talking about myself and my own experience. So I would never share things that had happened, you know, on my mum's behalf, for example, or um, things that had been affecting other people in my life. Cause that wasn't, I don't see that as my story to tell. That's their story. Um, and I wanted to be very respectful of that. So I think that then made quite a clear boundary for me. And then the second one is when it came to how much of my things that I wanted to put out there, it was really a case of, I mean, I guess it's actually kind of the same way that I, that I work now in the terms of whether I'm writing something for, for my own social channels, like you were saying, or whether it's for um, like client copy work that I'm doing, I'll never write something and send it off right away. I'll always let it sit and let it stew and prop, like typically we'll be leaving it the bare minimum overnight so that I can come back to it with fresh eyes and I can be, especially if it's something that's for, for my own um, channels, that's more personal and more vulnerable. I can come out of that vulnerable space and be looking at it, I guess, a little bit more from the outside in and having that different perspective and then seeing how I feel about it at a later date um, as opposed to feeling, okay, this is what I'm feeling right now and I'm feeling very raw and I'm just going to throw that out in the world because depending, you you never know what's going to come back. I've been very lucky in that, the fact that I think pretty much everything that I've had back has been positive and from that pace of, of connection and understanding and, and, and empathy. But I also know that I don't want to be in that raw place and then have a negative response or then feel later, oh no, that was too much for me to share. So I think giving that, having that time, I guess that really is my process. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense of almost... I've definitely been in these situations where you're like, I'm just going to just going to share this. And then you're like, oh, but this person could respond that and this person yeah. could respond that. And then all <laughs> of a sudden you've completely psyched yourself out. But so you kind of pivoted into life and edited. And was that kind of starting to see a therapist after you've had a panic attack? Was that when you realized I would like to have more impact? Is that when you move? Is that one of the reasons you moved over to working for a charity? Yes. Yes. I think it was a combination of wanting to have that that impact and it also being a big passion of mine in terms of exploring, for example, more more ethical living, more sustainable living. I mean, human rights obviously have always played a big role in my life given what I, I studied and just kind of continuing on, on that journey of wanting to make that impact, but also wanting to be doing something that I was so passionate about at the same time. Because you mentioned your boyfriend had sat you down and said, okay, something needs to change. Mm -hmm from going again, kind of like the, the practicalities of going from a place of, of realization of like, okay, something needs to change the way that I've kind of been going on, not processing certain things, kind of going on business as usual to changing something. What did that process look like for you? Well, I think for me, it was a number of different things that really came together. For starters with therapy, 
that really helped in developing self-awareness and also self-reflection. So I think I was able to essentially look back at the story of my own life so far and look at the different aspects of it that I wanted to keep and maintain and what I wanted to change. So I was able to see, for example, like during my master's and my time interning and other periods of my life when essentially I was almost like my own boss and that I was able to give myself the space to kind of be as I needed to be. That kind of led me to understanding what I would, not necessarily what I wanted my change to be, but what I wanted it to look like. Mm-hmm. or why I wanted it to happen. And that la- then later um, enabled me to create it. So for example, the why then for my change was the fact that I knew I could manage my anxiety much better when I didn't have to show up in an office every day. Mm-hmm. And when I didn't have to, you know, be, I always found it the whole kind of working in an office, that culture for me has personally has always been very restrictive. But I know for many people, they love it and that's fantastic. But for me, it was always the fact that I had to be at that same desk every single day at, you know, 8.30, 9 o'clock in the morning until 6 o'clock or whatever at night, that just felt very... I, 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 I'm, I'm doing a hand gesture as though everyone can see me doing my hand gesture. Very, very kind of hemmed in in that way. Um, and I came to understand... Very restrictive. It's a restrictive yes. hand gesture. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And there wasn't anything to do with like where I was working or anything like that. It was just the fact that this is the way that I work is that I've always been far more creative and far more productive on my days when I was working from home. And I also knew that when I was working from home, if I was finding things a little bit tricky that day, whether it was mental health or just in terms of, I don't know, having a creative blocker when I needed to go for a walk and get half an hour outside and then come back and I would have some new ideas. The fact that I had that freedom that became very important to me. So I think that was a big kind of understanding for me, the fact that freedom in my life was very important um, to be able to, I guess, craft a day, each day, craft a different day that was suited to me in that particular moment. Um, So that was a big one. And I think I also started to realize that I didn't need to know what that change was gonna be overnight. which is always, I think, a, a tricky one. I think for for me especially, and I think for many of us, we kind of think, okay, we want we want something to change, and then the next day we're like, oh, well, why hasn't it changed yet? Like I wanted to have that impatience. Right yeah, I'm yes. definitely guilty of that. I'm like, right, I've had the realization. Where's the implementation now? Why has this not materialized in my life? And it's so funny because it's so um, it's so unrealistic. Because if it was a change that happened overnight, yes, sometimes that can be amazing, but more often than not, if we want long-term sustainable change that's actually going to have that real impact for us, it's something that's going to be gradual. It's going to be a gradual journey to making that decision um, because we've actually had a full understanding of what it is we need in order to create the decision. So I think that was a big, a big realization for me when I kind of understood that, okay, this is not going to be a sudden, a, a sudden happening. It's, it's going to be a gradual process and I guess kind of trusting in that process that you will get there in the end would be a big one. And so throughout that time, you you still had your blog, Life Unedited, at that point? Yes, sporadically, but yes. <laughs> sporadically, but yes. And you kept having this conversation of like, maybe Australia. Mm-hmm. Why Australia? I mean, I've been, it's a it's a fantastic place, but where did this where did this initial where was the seed planted of like this constant conversation of like maybe we should move to Australia? 
Do you know, actually, this one comes down to my boyfriend. So even when we first met, he mentioned, I think, one, one of our early dates that one day he had this dream of giving life a go in Australia. And he's South African, so he's already moved to the UK. And I mean, he came here over 10 years ago and ended up staying for what was initially meant to be six months and he's still here. You can see that he also likes to move around and do things a little unconventionally. Do you feel like that happens in <laughs> London? It's definitely a London thing too. I'll, I'll just be here for one or two years and then all of a sudden you blink and you've been here forever. A decade later. <laughs> yeah, so he always mentioned that, that he had this idea and at first I was like, oh, no, you know, I, I like living in the UK. I think I've, I've just been traveling a lot of that stage and wasn't really ready to be going anywhere else. And then I kind of started to come around to the idea. I mean, maybe it was a bit of FOMO and the fact that, oh, I, I think when somebody presents a challenge to me, I find it very hard not to take it. So then I started to get curious about Australia. And I think, I mean, one of my best friends lived there for a period of time as well. And although I, much to, I think both of our dismay, hers especially, I never, never made it out to visit her until she left <laughs> and then I moved. Um, <laughs> But I made it there eventually, um, just a little bit late. But yeah, I'd, I kind of seen a lot about the culture through her and understanding, I think, kind of that outdoors lifestyle, the sunshine, um, just like really, really simple things that I think drew me in as part that that level of curiosity. And I think we definitely found even like when we got there, the, the work-life balance compared to, I mean, especially in London, I mean, we're so used to working all hours and thinking that it's that it's normal versus in Australia where it was a lot more level and people could, you know, they could balance their family life, balance their home life alongside having a high power career at the same time. And I thought that was very interesting. I think there's a lot to be learned from that. So kind of drew me in. And once the idea was kind of planted, uh, the seed was planted, I couldn't help but try and explore it a little bit more. Yeah, you did mention I think it was once you actually moved there, right, that you said you didn't realize you were a Londoner until you moved to Melbourne because you've just been so embraced in that fast paced life. And you didn't necessarily realize that that wasn't normal in other countries and in other cities. Definitely. So you've kind of you're like, OK, you know what? I've, I'm intrigued. You went from I'm intrigued to why not? Right. Let's fucking do it. But there's still like a gap right between the because Australia is also far. We're just going to put that out there. It's not like a casual within Europe <laughs> just a move. Little bit. Like if we hate it, we'll just we'll just fly back an hour. So what was kind of the plan? You had you both had jobs at that point. Yes, we both had, we yeah full time permanent jobs. Yeah. So what was the what was the you're a planner? You've written your pros and cons list. You're very very organized. I'm I feel like there was some sort of plan in the spontaneity of like okay right here's what we're gonna do. So what did that look like? So, well, we kind of had a gradual um, transition in that we we did go, we went via South Africa. So we spent Christmas with um, our family, or uh, well, my boyfriend's family in, in South Africa. Um, and once I'd handed him in my notice at work, um, they'd asked me to stay on remotely for a, for a number of months um, just to kind of bridge the gap between me going and my, and my replacement. So I guess that was kind of a bit of a firmer plan in that way, in that, it gave me a bit more time to be to be figuring things out. Um, but essentially, I kind of knew that this was really going to be my opportunity to go freelance and to try out working for myself. I think especially given the fact that we were only going for a year. So we knew that with our visas, they were only for a year's time. Obviously, you know, if you, you can get sponsorship, extension, etc. Um, and we knew that would potentially be an option further down the line. But at this point in time, 
we were aiming for a year and, and that was very much what we had planned. So I knew that obviously I was going to be leaving my job and starting something new. So I thought kind of, why don't I just try start something new and by working for myself? And that can be, that can be my new thing. And if it doesn't work out, I'm going to be coming back to London in a year. So I can come and get a quote unquote normal job, um, in-house job again. And if things go really badly or if I don't like it or whatever, I guess I didn't really actually have a major plan beyond that, beyond just the fact that I wanted to give it a go. And I think part of that was realizing that you don't actually need to have, I think we wait for this kind of this perfect right moment when, you know, we're going to have that perfect plan. It's going to be this perfect moment and we're going to feel ready. And I was just so tired of waiting to feel ready that we just have, I, I just thought, well, why don't we just try and then figure it out as we go along. And that was definitely the best approach for me. I mean, even if I look back, it's probably a bit over, I mean, a little over a year now that I've been doing this and working for myself. And there's, things have definitely evolved as I've tested the waters and figured things out along the way. Um, but I've been able to figure them out far more quickly by the fact that I've actually been doing them as mm-hmm. opposed to just guessing what's going to work well, guessing what I'm going to enjoy more, as opposed to just doing it and speaking with people and building it up that way instead. So is that when Life Unedited became unedited business? Is that kind of like, all right, I'm going to try my own thing. And that's when... You came up with unedited business? Yeah, exactly. So that's kind of when it it basically evolved in terms of I was, I remember that time, especially when we were in South Africa, it was kind of like, I guess, my prep period. And I was looking through and thinking about how I wanted this to look and feel. And I knew that I didn't just want to say, hey, I'm doing freelance marketing. Who wants to work with me? It, it needed to be a bit more than that. So I started thinking about what I needed to have, I guess, kind of what the essential ingredients were going to be for it to feel right for me in that way. So part of that was going to be continuing the same kind of message and ethos that I'd had before in what had just been a purely creative for fun passion project, but transitioning that into something that was financially viable and that could then evolve into um, being a business. And it was one of those things that I think that were scary at the beginning um, in the in the sense that I think it's very, I think when if you're in the online world, you can always find what it is that you're looking for. So if you're thinking this idea might not work, everybody wants this type of marketing, all of a sudden you're only going to see that type of marketing. And then you're going to think, oh no, am I making a mistake? Is, is my idea, is it too different? Is it not different enough, etc. So I think I had that for a little period of time, but obviously knew that I just wanted to to try it out and I still did feel that that I was onto something and now I've really found that that's one of the biggest things that brings my clients to me is the fact that it does feel real and true to them as opposed to this kind of other kind of glitzy approach to marketing and um, that I think we've seen in the past and I do really think it's going to evolve far more into that Um, slower, more ethical marketing approach that we're starting to see. And I think especially when it comes to the small business world, I always say that's kind of like the small business owners um, secret advantage against the bigger corporates is that they are able to be more personable in that way. And they are able to build those deeper connections that a big corporate brand is far too faceless to be able to to do that and that was that's something that type of connection is something that I think more often than not they can only ever really dream of having um because of their size whereas a small business owner you can actually meet the face behind the business 
and starts building those deeper relationships that way. And then you're far more likely to have somebody stick with you for a longer period of time as well, because they haven't just bought from you because, I don't know, you had a sale on that day and you were the, the, the cheapest price or they found a voucher code on the internet. They bought from you because it was a brand that really essentially tugged at the heartstrings and resonated with the values and the beliefs of the person who was making that purchase. And that's gonna be what makes people stick with you. Yeah, I've definitely found that myself too, of like buying from businesses that you just, you don't want to find a different, almost like not necessarily vendor, but you don't want to find a different solution because you just love the product and the person behind the brand. So you become really, really loyal. Exactly. Um, an example of this, I never knew, I don't know if you've seen this on Instagram, but I never knew I needed scrunchies. And one of, <laughs> you're <laughs> laughing, but I genuinely was never a scrunchie person. And then one of the accounts I follow on Instagram who I was actually going to ask for for bow ties for a wedding one day. And she pivoted in the Corona time period to making scrunchies. And all of a sudden I was like, I need scrunchies. And I think I've now purchased six. I, there is absolutely no need that is to amazing. have six, but um, it's gotten to the point that I'm now gifting them as well. And every single time she has a launch, <laughs> I'm like, oh, <laughs> I, need to, I need to support Emma. It's That's really brilliant. Funny. I love that it's almost become a hobby for you in terms of Yep, I've now got a date scrunchie and a get to work scrunchie and I'm I'm gonna go outside. <laughs> it's you know That is brilliant. <laughs> Which is actually something I wanna wanna talk about too, about the timing of everything, right? Because you spent essentially eight months in you spent two months in South Africa. Mm -hmm. first and then moved to Australia for around eight months right and then it was it was actually exactly 12 in the end so we spent yeah oh you did end up yeah so we spent I think probably about nine ten months in Melbourne um and we expected it to not be quite so long but we ended up spending about 10 months and then we spent the last two months traveling. So we went over to Japan for the Rugby World Cup and then Amazing. came back to Australia and lived out of a camper van for a month. We drove up the whole East Coast and I still have my laptop with me to be um, working along the way and then wrap things up with just basically traveling to different other spots, um, either via car or, or plane. We went up to Daintree Rainforest, we went to Tasmania, um, spent Christmas in in Sydney, which was amazing. So did lots of different things. So basically we were wrapping up our adventure and seeing a little bit more of the country um, and venturing outside of the state of Victoria, which was an incredible experience. I road trip through Australia and it's just, it's such a gorgeous country. It's also funny because you just underestimated, I definitely underestimated the distance. It'd be like in 380 yes. kilometers, oh gosh, me too. there is a roundabout and then you go straight and I'm like, right. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And you can just drive and drive and drive and it's just a road and it all looks the same, especially in central Australia. And it's just kind of desert around you. And you've really got to plan in terms of like, okay, there's going to be a gas station here. Have we filled up in time? Because if we don't, then we're kind of stuck in the middle of nowhere. And we don't know if someone's going to drive past us and rescue us. It's a whole different approach to travel, which I think was part of what made it really exciting. The fact that you kind of like felt like you were out on your own out there, which was pretty unique to experience. Yeah, I, re I remember that because when you travel in Europe, I think, I mean, it depends, right? I've been in Iceland where there's definitely, you have to plan a little bit more, but most European road trips are just kind of like whatever the next city is. Mm. Whereas I remember we like, we ended up, uh, my best friend and I, after we graduated high school, we spent five uh, weeks from Sydney to Cooktown all the way up. And the last time we're like, oh, we'll just drive. And like, I think four hours in, we're like, we haven't passed a gas station yet. 
And then on the way back, we're like, we know this one gas station. So it's definitely a different level of planning. And for sure, it's something that you also talk about, right? Of like having this everyday adventure, but also cultivating that stillness and that routine and, and the things that are really important to you while being your own boss and the things that you've mentioned. Mm-hmm. How do you cultivate kind of that stillness when everything is is really, really busy and really loud around you? And, and you know, you might want to actually end up exploring something rather than sitting, sitting somewhere and doing the work. Yeah, I've definitely kind of learned that I think the hard way, probably from trying to do all of the things and then realizing that actually that's not going to be the best and most sustainable um approach and I think that was definitely our approach traveling in Australia actually is to be slowing things down a little bit in terms of the fact that we knew that we were going to be there for a longer period of time so we didn't want to take the same approach of you know if you're going to a European city and you kind of have x things that you want to go and, and see this kind of hit list that wasn't what we wanted to do at all we wanted to really be approaching it from a point of view of understanding the way that people were living there as opposed to the way that people were touristing there. So kind of spinning it on its head, I think, was a big one for me so that we didn't feel that pressure to rush around and see things, but actually um, soak it all in and and take things a little bit more slowly. And then I think I've also over time just kind of learned what my anchor points are really that I need to have to have that kind of more sustainable, more gentle approach to my days, whether it's just having quite a quiet time in the morning, sitting, having a morning coffee before the day begins. You're definitely a coffee addict. I absolutely love your stories <laughs> of coffee. Oh, and I think I became even more so when we were in Melbourne. I think the coffee there was just incredible. I got like excited for you when you got a coffee machine. I didn't even... I love that. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, she's got one. Oh, I'm glad. That makes me so happy. <laughs> It was incredible. I mean, it still is. And then I'd like watch the process as you learn to froth milk. It was quite funny. I, I, I still haven't cracked it. I think about maybe 80% of the time it goes really well. And then the other 20, I mean, it's just a bit of a, sh- a shit show. And I don't know what's happened. Keeps you on your toes. So I just have to keep practicing. I have to drink more coffee. It's a real shame. But yeah, those so those anchor points, I think, have really helped in terms of like even just, I think, also feeling and asking myself, like, what I, what is that need that I need that day? So... When we first came back um, from back came back into the UK, sorry, when it was kind of the beginning of lockdown, I think we came back the week that lockdown started, and you know our minds were just all over the place, wondering, as I'm sure most of us were, what on earth is going on in the world, and that's when I got into really doing just essentially morning pages, but I think it was really just kind of free writing in the morning to get everything out on paper, so I could be processing my thoughts better, um, spending quiet time reading trying to manage my relationship with my phone which is an ongoing saga sometimes it goes well other days not so much but I think life's always a bit of a work in progress in that way but I think just really having those honest conversations with yourself about what it is that you actually need in that moment and mustering the courage to go after that because I think often we'll know that we need one particular thing um but if somebody's asking us to do something else and we're worried that we might let that person down or make them sad that we're not going to go and do this activity with them Whereas actually it could probably benefit both of us in in the long run if you're actually going to be taking that step back and doing things a bit more slowly so that when you do show up, you show up as your full self. And I think that's quite interesting because you talk about how you kind of have a very structured approach. You love Trello. I do. Um, And you you mentioned that at the end of each at the end of each month, you sit down, you kind of plan the next month and then you almost kind of do it weekly. So with within that, how do you because it's hard to predict how you're going to feel on the day, right, in the future. 
do you plan in a buffer or how, when you're saying, you know, feeling what it is that you need in mm-hmm. that moment, how do you strike that balance between having clients being like, well, we said, you know, deadline this Friday and you just absolutely not feeling like it on Thursday, for example, how do you balance that between being really, really structured, but also then having that flexibility in the moment? That's a really good question. I think part of it for me is that I do build in a bit of a buffer. And that's definitely something that I've been learning a bit more lately about what that buffer needs to be and how much work I actually want to take on each month as opposed to thinking just because I physically might be able to do something, I actually want to give myself more room about my, around my work so I can also be showing up as the best version of myself and my clients and the most creative version of myself so that they're getting that value too. And then it sounds very strange to say for me that structure really makes freedom. So I, t- I tend to try and structure my weeks in that Mondays and Fridays, loosely, I don't do client work. Strictly-ish. It's Friday afternoons that I don't do client work and Monday mornings. So I've got that time to ease. I don't plan to do client work on Monday afternoons or Friday mornings. But if I need to, if something's overrunning, then I do squeeze it in. Otherwise, Tuesdays to Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday is kind of like my strict client work days. So I think the fact that I know that those are the times I'm purely going to be working on client work. But if something does come up, I have got that little bit of buffer at the beginning of the end of the week is very helpful. And then I tend to manage I always allow extra time when I'm giving a client a deadline. For me, I find it very helpful with the fact that I don't really plan day by day. The fact that I have an overarching view of my month, so I know obviously what client work I've got for that month, what are the kind of behind the scenes tasks that I need to um, be going, getting going with or moving forward with, with when, when it comes to my own business. And then looking forward to the week ahead, but not saying Monday I'm doing this, Tuesday I'm doing this. It's kind of saying, these are the things I want to get done this week. And then I'll kind of jiggle them around so that they work as the week goes through. So it's, I want to say it's like a structured organic approach. Uh, it seems to work for me. I'm sure some people are listening and were saying, what, what the hell is this person doing? But <laughs> it's all about finding an approach that works for you. And I was going to ask kind of in the beginning, you've moved to Melbourne and that's when you also started freelancing, right? Mm-hmm. Is that an approach that you kind of learned to do that kind of worked? Because I'm assuming that at the very beginning, a lot of it was potentially building your brand a lot more outreach, whereas now it is that balance of keeping your business rolling and, and moving and also having the clients. What were kind of some of the things you did to put yourself out there and to, to just get the ball rolling? I think for me, it was having a relatively good understanding, which is definitely developed as time has gone on, but a relatively good understanding of who I want to be working with and then thinking about where those people will be likely to find me. Um, So I knew that a lot of, um, you know, my my dream clients would be spending time on Instagram. So I knew that that was a place that I wanted to be developing my audience, but also the type of content that I'm putting out there. I mean, I'm a firm believer that you don't necessarily need to have a huge audience on Instagram to be doing well in your business. You just need to be having the right audience and people to actually be engaging with your work in the, in the right way. So I found that to be very successful for me, but definitely far more of a, a long-term approach. Also just looking, for example, um, I connected with the Homeworker magazine, which is an amazing magazine for, funnily enough, people who work from home. Um, <laughs> and I knew that obviously that would have a good um, small business audience. So um ended up writing a piece for them that fit very much within my niche of marketing and communications and alongside that was played like placed in their directory for a while so that was a really helpful outreach for me 
developing Pinterest, to be driving traffic to my site. I'm very much basically trying to practice what I preach to other people. I've always find that doing that for yourself is a little bit harder um, because I think you're obviously you're holding yourself accountable to it and actually be following through on it. And uh, sometimes I think a lot of the work that the value that I'm giving to my clients is also the fact that they're getting an external point of view. So trying to be the external point of view for yourself could be an interesting process. Um, but definitely developing that and um, taking a content marketing approach. But at the beginning, I'm trying to remember what I ended up doing to kind of get things going. I mean, I, 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 a lot of outreach to my network, which really helped. Um, so I got a number of leads and coming through that and basically told everyone that I knew what I was doing. Um, and I did also spend a little bit of time on people per hour, which I know some people hate in terms of you know, thinking, you know, kind of that race to the bottom approach. But for me, I was actually lucky in that I was able to find a couple of clients there in the early stages um, who were not racing to the bottom, essentially, and who actually understood the value of the work that we were looking for. And then that was quite useful for me in terms of building up my freelance portfolio at the same time. So that was quite a useful strategy too. And with, you said, you know, you kind of had an idea of who your ideal client was or your dream client. Yeah. With also specifically what you wanted to do, you're quite clear on kind of the, the boundaries of that work. Cause you mentioned, as you mentioned, you don't necessarily want to be doing work. You don't actually want to be doing. Did that also develop over time or did you, because of your previous work experience, was that something you were kind of quite clear on from the start? It's definitely the format. So it's definitely been something that's developed over time for me. Um, when I was working on in-house and as you often do, especially when you're working with a nonprofit, you end up wearing many different hats. So for me, when I started, I didn't really know kind of which of those hats I wanted to be wearing most of the time. Obviously, I, if I, if I wanted to, I could have been offering all these different things, which is kind of what I did start doing at the beginning. And then I realized just because this is maybe just because I can do all these things doesn't necessarily mean that I want or should be doing all of these things. Um, so it's been kind of a gradual evolution as I've worked to refine those and narrow it down to A, kind of where my passion lies and B, also where I think I can have the biggest impact. And I think sometimes it can be tempting when different things come through and, and you think, oh, that could be fun. I, you know, I could help there, but actually I'm might not be bringing the value that I could should be because it's not my, my area of specialism or perhaps you know it's a case of this isn't fitting with the kind of work that I want to be doing most of the time so I think that's when you have to be very strict with yourself and in redirecting to other areas. And is that kind of a feeling for you or do you write those things down? Does that a, kind of out of curiosity of developing that sense of like oh this doesn't feel quite right I'm doing this right now but I'm not quite sure do you almost take note of that to make sure that you you remember? It's so it started out more as a feeling. And now I've learned that I need to write these things down. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm, I mean, I'm a writer. I have to have notes of everything. So yeah, so now that's something that I'm actually working on at the moment is to be, have a very clear structure on what I want my offerings to be. I mean, obviously, there's always going to be like some cases that might be, you know, one-off things that might fall out of, outside of that. But that is very unique. So I think for the most part for me, it's having an internal kind of documented process that I can refer back to. I think especially when something comes in and you are feeling a little bit tempted, it's so nice to have that to look at and to remember what your reasonings are for this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's really helpful of almost having that argument in your back pocket 
so that when the question comes, you're like, no, yeah, oh, you've got that background. Exactly. And before we round things off, I just wanted to talk a little bit more about unedited business because unedited business is so much more than just the services that you provide. It's also about starting that conversation. And I read somewhere on your website, it's about celebrating the highs of business and being open to the lows. Was that something because you've started to write about your personal life that that kind of came into your business or did you consciously bring that back into your business at some point? I think it was quite a bit of a conscious effort because up until that point, obviously I've been sharing my own story, but I became really curious about other people's stories as well, especially as my work grew and I started to build more connections online um, and just become curious about different folks and what they were up to. I mean, there are certain questions that I'll always ask when I'm doing interview series with different guests on my site, for example, like where and when do, do you work best? I mean, for me, I'm fascinated by the different working styles that people have or like, you know, some people will be hunched over their desk late at night and that's when all their creative genius comes out. Whereas for me, I would just be fast asleep on my head on my laptop. So that's not really going to be an approach that works. But I think it's so interesting to see the different ways that people come into their work, the stories and the journeys that have gotten there, gotten them there. And then also be understanding what they would want to be sharing for somebody to be building a business that's heartfelt and authentic to them. Because I think everyone's kind of everyone's got their own experience and their own two cents to to add to that conversation. And if we bring those different stories together, that's something that's quite magical. Amazing. So I always like to ask three questions before we finish this episode. And the first being, what book changed your life or shifted your mindset? Do you know, funny enough, I actually saw that you posted about this on Instagram the other day. So I'm sorry to everyone if they've already seen this, um, but it's Untamed by Glennon Doyle. Oh. And I don't think I've re recommended a book to so many people. It's it's brilliant. Honestly, I think it's basically become my handbook. I mean, I've always loved Glenn Doyle's writing, but that book is just something that's so unique. And the fact that I think it's, I think probably because Glennon has been so vulnerable in her writing and so honest and open, it's that same thing that we were saying earlier that really helps you build that connection with her. And the fact that she's talking about so many different things that aren't always discussed. Um, and for me, I think that the message that really resonated with me was the fact that it's all about tuning into your inner knowing. And that was something that was so groundbreaking to be approaching it in that way. And it sounds so simple, um, but actually in the implementation, it can be a lot more complex. And I think that she just presented that in such a beautiful way. But I'm really curious, actually, what was your um, biggest takeaway from the book? Like, did you have the same takeaway or was it something different? I was going to say we could do an entire episode just on this book. I, it, was de <laughs> it definitely has also turned into a handbook of mine of just I, I read, I read with a pen in hand. But yeah, I think a lot of that whole like dropping into your your inner knowing and that deeper knowing was was one of also that like aha moments mm -hmm. um, and, and just honoring that, honoring that space. And I think a lot of times, I don't know exactly how she phrased it, but you know that those things that we quickly kind of respond to that comes from society and the way that we've trained, like the way that she talks about whenever we have an initial response, how that comes from typically things we've just kind of learned. Yeah, like questioning that point of view, where, is, where does yeah. it stem from? And then actually taking that moment to kind of sit with it and then kind of seeing where, where it comes from. But, oh, it's just... It's I can read it again and again and again. I know, it's I just, really, oh. really want to read it. And also just, I think, when we talk about 
almost these last three <laughs> questions are now getting really long, but like almost like when we, when she talks about how society sees women and, and the way kind of, you know, she uses the metaphor of like breaking out of cages, but mm. it is really interesting the way that she phrases and her writing is just, I wasn't familiar with her writing beforehand. And it was just, it just swept me away. It, it genuinely did as cheesy as it sounds, but. Oh, you'll have to go back and read all her other books. That could be next, another. Yes, I've got, I've got more for writing, <laughs> but, but back to interviewing you here. <laughs> Question two is what is your secret to success? I think this ties back to actually what we were saying earlier in terms of just giving it a go um, and not being afraid to try things out and experiment and, and not being worried about the fact that they might fail because they also might succeed. So don't let the idea that something might not work stop you from testing the waters. I think I'm very much like a learning by doing kind of sort of person. So yeah, I'm a big advocate for testing things out and seeing how how they feel for you and just being prepared to have that honest conversation with yourself and take a step back if it doesn't feel good or if it doesn't work. And if it does, amazing. Great. And lastly, well, actually, I'm going to I'm going to follow that up. Not only what is your secret to success, but do you also have a definition of success for you? Oh, I love that question. I mean, it's not going to be a very succinct definition, but I think roughly, I think when I was younger, I would see success as those tick boxes that you have to achieve by a certain age, right, that society puts upon us. But actually now it's just having a life that feels good. That's it. A one that feels good and feels right to you. And I think we think it's this really complicated beast that we need to be chasing, uh, but it's not a thing. It's a feeling. Amazing. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. And then lastly, what advice would you have liked to hear when you started to live life differently? I'm really going to reference Glennon Doyle here. So <laughs> sorry about that. We're going back to it again. But yeah, the fact that you don't have to look outside for the answers. And I think this is especially relevant at the moment in the fact that, I mean, especially with the pandemic and lockdown that we're just coming to the end of, but online education is so huge right now. And I think that's amazing. And the fact that like we have access to so much knowledge and information and presented in such a different way to like the traditional education system, which is fantastic, but it can also make you feel as though you need to be looking somewhere else for the answers um, and outside of yourself to know what to do when actually more often than not, you already have the answer within you and you just actually need to tune into that. So I mean, it sounds a bit cheesy, but I guess it's a case of finding the right frequency to tune into your own knowing. If people want to find out more about you, where can they find you? Yeah, you can find me on Instagram where I'm pip underscore Christy. And you can also find me on my website, which is just pipchristy.com. And that's also where you can subscribe to my newsletter behind the business as well. Which is also fantastic. And I'll link everything in the show notes. I do love your stories and all the coffee. coffee all the stories. coffee. All that's not going anywhere. Don't worry. Well, thanks so much for being on the podcast. I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much for tuning in on this week's episode. If this conversation has helped you in any way or led to some insights, please share it with your friends, colleagues, or family. I would also be incredibly grateful if you could please write a review as this helps me record more episodes and makes it easier for others to find the podcast. If you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to Modern Day Rebels on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss the next episode. You can also follow at Modern Day Rebels on Instagram to stay up to date on each week's episode or sign up to the newsletter to receive some practical tips and tricks you can easily apply in your day to day. You can find all the links in the show notes. See you next week. Oh,